RX. I'm Kurt Anderson, and this is the Studio 360 Podcast. I'm Jocelyn Gonzalez from Studio 360. We're here with another edition of This Woman's Work, a series of stories from Classic Album Sundays and Studio 360. Classic Album Sundays is a program of community listening events founded by Colleen Cosmo Murphy, where fans listen to essential albums uninterrupted on state-of-the-art sound systems. For This Woman's Work, we're highlighting classic albums by female artists, women who have made a lasting impact on music and pop culture. This time we're looking at the artist who inspired the name of this series, the singer-songwriter, dancer, and producer, Kate Bush. This woman's work was the name of a single on Kate Bush's sixth album. Pray God you can call I stand outside This woman's work This woman's work But we're backing up a bit in Kate Bush's catalog to her fifth studio album, Hounds of Love. Hounds of Love was produced as two distinct sets of songs. Hounds of Love, which contained the album's four smash singles and a narrative suite called Ninth Wave. On this record, Kate Bush applied her ethereal voice to dramatic songs about childhood, relationships, and nature. With its sophisticated arrangements and embrace of technology, the album pushed the boundaries of musical structure and personal expression. In this episode of This Woman's Work, Kate Bush's Hounds of Love, released in September 1985. Here's Colleen. When I was a teenager, I remember flicking through my Aunt Pauline's vinyl LPs and being amazed by her adventurous collection that included ABBA, the Cabaret soundtrack, and Miles Davis's Bitches Brew. But there was one artist that truly intrigued me. With her innovative sounds, arrangements, and a dramatic soprano that was unlike any other voice I had ever heard, Kate Bush was miles away from any of the mainstream pop and rock blaring from my transistor radio. Kate's high-pitched voice and poetic lyrics sounded both vulnerable and strong at the same time. And the music itself was a unique hybrid that fused pastoral acoustic folk and progressive rock with dramatic Baroque pop arrangements and art rock edginess. The lyrics at times embraced the childlike wonder of Peter Pan, but also a liberated young woman's views on sex. Like me, outcast rapper, songwriter, producer, Big Boy also has a family member to thank for his discovery of Kate Bush, his own Uncle Russell. I was like the only one, like my uncle was a really eclectic guy and he kind of just, you know, had all types of music, you know, from Peter Gabriel and Genesis and Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and Metallica and Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and he turned me on to all of that type of music and I was just kind of just diving deep into all of it. 
I just wanted to to get into more, and so he had like all of a record. So I would just, you know, kind of put it on the turntable or a cassette and and listen. And I just was bouncing around from album to album, and just kind of just got a love for it from there. American radio stations famously stick exclusively to one format, like classic rock or top 40 or country. So it's no wonder that Bush flummoxed radio programmers. They just didn't know how to shoehorn her into playlists, so she didn't get the radio play. But Kate Bush was a household name in her native United Kingdom. Her first LP, The Kick Inside, released in 1978 when she was just 19 years old, reached the top 10 in many album charts throughout Europe. And it wasn't only the album that was a huge success, which eventually went platinum, but also its lead single, Wuthering Heights, which was inspired by Emily Bronte's novel of the same name. Kate Bush performed it five different times on the UK's most important music TV show, Top of the Pops. She also performed the song on Saturday Night Live in the US. But even with this massive promotional push, her debut album failed to win over the American audience. But Kate Bush did have cult fans in the USA. Not only my aunt Pauline and Big Boy's uncle Russell, but also mainstream musicians like Prince and Madonna. So Kate Bush did manage to draw a small but loyal fan base in the U.S., an unlikely conglomerate of people who appreciated the artistic boundary pushing and who themselves defied boundaries. Americans like Big Boy. I was like, this is kind of tripped out. This, the production, the, her, the vocal arrangements, her voice was so angelic. I, I fell in love with it immediately. So it really just took me on a deep dive, really. You know what I mean? The melodies and the layers of music that she laid on her songs, it was just levels to it, as, as well as the storytelling aspect of it. We'll return to our story in a moment, but first I want to remind you that you can keep up with what we're looking at and working on by following us on Twitter at Studio 360 Show. And now, back to our story. It was her fifth studio album, 1985's Hounds of Love, that secured Kate Bush a broader American fan base. And this was her first album to break the Billboard Top 40. College and commercial radio support helped. So did an array of cleverly produced videos on heavy rotation on the nascent MTV network and a big push at retail chains, like the New England-based Strawberries Records and Tapes, where I was working as a teenage record clerk. And then there was the music itself. You like my Hounds of Love balance whimsical and adventurous lyrics with an intricate and lush sound that made use of state-of-the-art recording and mixing, 
It had big pop hooks and energizing rhythms, and the effect was long-lasting. Hounds of Love attracts new fans even decades later. American singer-songwriter Julia Holter was born the year before the album was even released and discovered Hounds of Love in a more roundabout 90s fashion. I can't remember if it was from a friend or if I found it online, but I think a friend was listening to this woman's work and she had also introduced me to Napster. <laughs> so I like downloaded this woman's work. Pray God you can call I was really moved by it. I kept like listening to it over and over again because it was so beautiful and strange to me. Like I guess it made me feel uncomfortable for some reason. I think her voice was just so intense. I get out of my car. This is so interesting. Like I was really captivated by how strange it sounded to me. And it's funny to think that it would sound so strange, but it is strange. I mean, it's really mysterious music, you know? It was very um, emotional, very sentimental, like really sweet and it was complex. Her music holds like the emotional complexity of life. Running Up That Hill, which is like one of her biggest hits, was pretty powerful for me. Yeah, like sixth grade, riding my bicycle, uh, just kind of pedaling to it, you know what I mean? I, I didn't really know what it was about or whatever, but the rhythm just caught me. It was moving, you know what I'm saying? As, as far as like the patterns and the rolls in the drum, you know what I mean? It was, uh, it kind of reminded me of, of a steady march. Plus me riding my bike to school, going up and down hills. It was like I used it as motivation to get to school on time, you know what I mean? The drums on um, running up that hill are very inspiring. The use of toms. <laughs> you know, by the time they brought the synths in, uh, it's kind of strike according you. Like the music is supposed to uh, evoke emotion and. The, the emotion that this music brought out of me was just that of just pure joy, man. I just loved it, you know what I mean? It makes you feel good, and um, that's what music is supposed to do. You, of course, had the big hit single, Running Up That Hill, taken from the Hounds of Love album. What inspired that song? It's very much about love and the power of love and the frustration of misunderstanding within relationships. And that if a man could become a woman and a woman a man within their relationship, that perhaps they'd understand a bit more about each other. And that's the deal with God? Yes. 
branch in the trees. It's coming. When I was a child, running in the night, afraid of All of these little details that come through in, in Hounds of Love, something that always strikes me is this little detail of the like do 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 Those do-do-do's is like so good <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> so delicious. It's not just the instrumentation, but also the focus on um, EQing like on the vocals, the way that the vocals sound. So um, much attention is paid to all of these little details that really make it special. When we think of Kate Bush, we usually think of her voice, her melodies, and also her flair for drama and performance, the dancing, the acting in and directing of her own videos. But we don't always consider Kate Bush the producer, even though she has produced every single one of her studio albums since her fourth LP, The Dreaming, her most experimental record yet. I see the people working, and see it working for them, and still I want to change. When it came time to record her next LP, Hounds of Love, she built her own recording studio and a barn on her parents' farm, where her mum would offer the musicians the quintessential English tea and sandwiches. What were you looking for? What makes your studio special for you? Well, it's got all the environmental things that we want, the right kind of sounding rooms, and we've got all the outboard equipment and the right kind of speakers and everything. Mm. It's uh, what we want, which is why we did it. Kate took 18 months to complete the album, with 12 months spent on overdubs and mixing alone. She recorded with Del Palmer, her bass player, engineer, and romantic partner. Along with Trevor Horn and Peter Gabriel, Kate Bush was one of the early ambassadors of the Fairlight CMI. Now, for my money, the star of the show was this, the Fairlight Computer Musical Instrument. It's $26,000 worth of electronic wizardry that's been developed over the last five years by Kim Ryrie and Peter Vogel. And she wrote most of the album on that early synth, along with the Lynn drum machine, and afterward would replace some of the electronic sounds with traditional instruments. The slower work pace meant she could get the sounds and the intricate details just the way she wanted. It's so obvious how much fun she has with recording, and I just think that that's like an artist who is successful, who totally does whatever she wants. And that includes her use of technology that was rare for a woman to be using hands-on at the time. The different layers that she put in the music, it wasn't just straightforward. The way that um, a track could completely change into something else in the middle of, of the song totally changed the direction. It's just, it was adventurous, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm a firm believer in, you know, organic vibes, and, and her albums just seem totally organic to me. Like, uh, I like to say, um, organically created, never genetically modified. You know, that's how you get the purest form of music.
Mother Stands for Comfort was like one of my favorites. I just love the eeriness of it. It's just the sound, the soundscape, man. It was just like, you know, the music is cinematic. You know what I mean? You can kind of imagine yourself in like a Neverland, if you want to call it that. You know what I'm saying? And kind of just lose yourself into her voice. And then famously, there were Kate Bush's pipes. I think it's just the, the different levels, you know what I'm saying? She can go super low until hitting one of the highest notes uh, possible. Like the range, her vocal range is incredible and impeccable. And it's so clean, you know what I mean? Her vocals, are, like I said, it's, it's angelic. Like you can't mimic that. That's definitely a, a gift she was born with. And she's very talented, man. Much like Joni Mitchell, Kate Bush's melodies take unexpected twists and turns. It was a combination of, yeah, that kind of the unfamiliarity of where the melody was going to go and also the production. Hounds of Love is a highly structured song cycle that manifests as two suites, and this worked well with a two-sided vinyl format. Kate later said on French television that she thought of the two sides as two different albums. Side one is called Hounds of Love, and it's comprised of five songs linked together through the theme of love and relationships and feature the album's four hit singles. Side two is entitled The Ninth Wave and is a continuous narrative stretched over seven songs that tells the story of a girl struggling to stay alive in the sea whilst awaiting rescue. I asked Big Boy if Hounds of Love's two distinct musical suites was a source of inspiration for Outkast's double album Speaker Box, The Love Below, that feature one disc recorded by Big Boy and the other by his Outkast partner, Andre 3000. I guess it's, uh, subconsciously it was there, you know what I mean? But like I said, I mean, we're influenced by everything, you know what I mean? So I've never thought about it that way, but that's a, that's a great observation. Songs like Jig of Life, you know what I mean? That's like one of my all-time favorites. Hello, old lady. I know your face so well. I know it well. She says, At one point during the recording of Hounds of Love, Kate Bush got writer's block, so she went to Ireland to explore her Celtic heritage. She made a temporary move to Ireland's Windmill Studios, a favorite of U2, where she recorded some of the sounds of Ireland, such as the Boreon drum, the fiddle, Celtic whistles, and Ilian pipes, which you can hear on Hello Earth and Jacob Life. where it just breaks down to the fiddle and then they have a hoedown, you know what I mean? It's incredible to, to do things like that in a song and take the listener on an adventure. And that's what music is about, you know, um, giving people that escape from life to kind of feel themselves and, and, and go into their heads and just kind of dig deep down in their souls and, and figure out who they are. I put 
I love Dream of Sheep. It's so cinematic, and you know, if you want to kind of curl up and lock lips with your girlfriend, you can do that. Julia Holter has her own favorite track from the Ninth Wave Suite on side two of Hounds of Love. Which is sort of the most kind of unassuming song, I guess, or it's just so sort of more simple and chill, but it's the morning fog. It's so crazy, like, how it makes me feel. And it's really warm, and, like, you feel like you're supported by your loved ones or something. Like, it feels like someone's there for you. It's a very strong, like, I don't know if it's synesthetic, but it has a very strong warmth to it that is powerful and feels like love or something, you know, something really, like, metaphysical or something. Kate Bush is a big horror film buff. The song Hello Earth was inspired by Werner Herzog's Nosferatu, and the title track opens with a scene from 1975's Night of the Demon. It's in the trees. It's coming. When I was a child, all aspects of visual performance fascinated Kate Bush, and she studied mime and dance with Lindsay Kemp, who also taught David Bowie. So it should come as no surprise that the multi-talented performer had an interest in getting behind the camera when it came time to filming her own epic videos, which were sometimes like short films themselves. Bush directed two of the album's videos. The Big Sky was nominated for Best Female Video at the 1987 MTV Video Awards and featured her joyous and uninhibited dancing, which was a stark contrast to the overly choreographed, sexualized dancing of other popular videos of the time. Her video for Hounds of Love was inspired by Alfred Hitchcock's film, The 39 Steps, and sees her using her Lindsay Kemp training as she and her lover try to escape capture from the soldiers of order. So amazing. Like her dancing and her theatricality, that stuff's very entertaining. I think I just was really like in awe and like kind of mesmerized by all the different layers of her. For Outcast Big Boy, Kate Bush is the pinnacle. She's my favorite because she showed me uh, different ranges of sound. You know, the production, it just showed me layers, 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 and how to tell a story with music, the depth to the thought of the songs, and then how she, you know, kind of brings it to life, you know, talking about cloud busting. Yes, it's very much inspired by a book that I found on the shelf about nine years ago, and it's written by a man called Peter Reich, and the book's called A Book of Dreams. And it's very much written from a child's point of view about his father. And uh, it's really about the magic of that relationship and, and how much his father meant to him. Um, 
and they have a very special thing they can do. They go up onto a hill with a machine that his father's built and they make it rain. Talking about weather manipulation before people even knew about that, you know, cloud seeding and things like that, like that shit is crazy. Julia Holter was directly inspired by Kate Bush and Hounds of Love during the recording of her most recent album, Aviary. I was really stuck on this song um, called Le Jeu to You. I like heard this like bass line in my mind. I was like, oh, what is that? I was hearing the sound of the, the timbre of the bass from Mother Stands for Comfort. I really love the way that that sounds. I think that's what we need. We need that like fretless bass. And um, really what it is, is like a, a second melody. It's almost like a duet of the bass and her voice singing. I want to try that. And I had already recorded a lot of the song, but I wrote to Devin Hoff, who's an incredible bass player that I've worked with for years. And um, I was like, I'm really into the sound of the bass on Mother, like that timbre. How do I know what I think until I say Aaron's nameless treasure? I'll be on my way again. Yeah, I just love how it works in that song, the way the bass interacts with the vocal and how much of a mood it is. It's like such a mood. Hounds of Love remains Kate Bush's most commercially successful album, and it even pushed out Madonna's Like a Virgin from the number one spot on the UK album charts. Its marriage of artistically unbounded production and sophisticated storytelling with driving rhythms and a pop sensibility made it stand out from anything else on the radio in the mid-80s. And it still stands out. This record will continue to be important because it feels very much like someone doing whatever they want with all these instruments without like paying attention to like what someone's gonna tell her to do it feels like this one person's vision that's very specific and intense and very moving and complex i don't know if i said i wanted to be like her because i'm a man but i wanted to have that same prowess as an artist to be diverse like she was, you know what I mean? Not to be classified as one thing. You're in a, a lane all to your own, and you kind of write your own story. I actually went to her Before the Dawn concert when we were on the Outcast 20 tour and met up with her backstage. We exchanged numbers and uh, about a year after that, we went to dinner and just talked about life, man. It was it was beautiful. We had some great food and, and drunk some almond yak, which I've never had, like almond cognac. We talked about our kids going to college and decorating our houses, and, and it was it was it was so fun, man. Our story on Hounds of Love by Kate Bush was produced by Colleen Cosmo Murphy and by me, Jocelyn Gonzalez. 
The clips of Kate Bush can be found online in her 1985 interviews for the UK music shows Old Grey Whistle Test and Music Box. For more stories about the records that shaped our culture and our lives, or to find out about the new book, Classic Albums by Women, visit ClassicAlbumSundays.com. You can listen to a playlist with essential tracks from many of the records featured in the book. What are your favorite classic albums featuring female artists, and why? Tell us at incoming at studio360.org. Thanks for listening, and you can subscribe to Studio 360 wherever you get podcasts.